This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast is brought to you by Fly Racing. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass Podcast presented by Fly Racing. On today's show, we're going to preview the French Grand Prix at Le Mans. Steve English, Adam Wheeler, Neil Morrison and David Emmett on the show today. And Adam, I'm going to start off with you because uh, it's been a decent couple of weeks now you've been able to get out and about you were obviously at uh, the Hareth Grand Prix Spain starting to open up and uh, well we're back on a zoom call unfortunately today yeah talk about a contrast Steve um you know moving back from actually being at a racetrack to you know going behind the screen and having to watch and touch the sport through zoom calls is going to be a bit um I don't want to say demotivating but a little bit of a reality check unfortunately I'm hoping that you know, MotoGP is going to move through some of the the ways of de-escalation of the pandemic restrictions that we've seen across certain countries in Europe um, in the next coming weeks. It'll be great to get back and actually be able to have a bit more freedom to, to source, you know, some stories and content almost back to normal. And Neil, obviously, you were able to enjoy Ads Company last week. I was over in Barcelona for a few days as well. So it was nice to be able to do the Moto2 and Moto3 show where it was the three of us together. But uh I think the biggest question for the three of us for you is, have you actually bothered to book your flights for Le Mans yet? Because you hadn't done it as of <laughs> whenever I left Barcelona. I have indeed, Steve. Yes, you'd be proud of me. Did it yesterday morning um, and paid a grand total of 90 euros. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, sometimes this uh, last minute stuff that I do pays off. On does, the that occasion. Thing, does that involve a connection in Mozambique? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to Istanbul then Rome, and then I think up to Paris. Yeah, so, and then I should meet a chauffeur that'll take me down to Le Mans from there. So, yeah, it should be a busy Wednesday run trip, but I'll get there in the end. David, it's always impressive that Neil's obviously able to find the flight for 90 quid, which also means he's gone away with just hand luggage once again. Yeah, but I mean, you know, he's a, that's the way he is. He's a, he's a, he's a light traveling man, is Neil. He's, um, it is quite impressive. I know he has got caught out a couple of times, uh, with the late uh, flights, but I mean, you know, if ever there was a period in history during which you could get away with booking lights late, uh, booking flights late, it is uh, during the pandemic where people are absolutely desperate to get bums on seats in aeroplanes. Well, I'll tell you what, it's hard actually to find flights at the minute because I found going out to Spain for the CEV that I had to fly through Madrid because I couldn't get in and out of either Valencia, Alicante or Barcelona. So over the course of, what, five, six days in Spain, I think I did about 1,700 kilometers just to get myself down to Valencia. So, uh, you know, Neil's done all right to be able to find anything that works for getting himself out to Le Mans. But uh, Adam, obviously, Le Mans always, always an interesting race. There's always, you know, the track we've all we've all gone to quite a few times Dave it's not his most popular track but there is actually a little bit of charm to Le Mans as well my two favorite things on Le Mans are obviously the vibrant atmosphere I don't think you can get away from that the popularity um you know there's nothing worse than really going to a race and feeling the, the event's a bit kind of mediocre and there's not too much passion around it and that's why we all live to cover and you know travel to places like Mugello or Assen um, Le Mans is up there as you know one of the most atmospheric Grand Prix on the calendar but also I mean I'm, I'm a, a fan of history um, so you know it's uh, going to places with so much kind of prestige when it comes to motorsport is something pretty special I mean it's hard not to you know think about 
you know the kind of racing and the imagery associated with one when you're driving down parts of the Molzane Strait and you know just around the side of the circuit so uh, it's got that in its favour even if the weather is typically terrible I have no idea why they don't run that race consistently in the middle or the late of the summer well there's a big 24 hour car race that goes on and then there's also the 24 hour roller skating race so obviously those take Steve we don't do four wheels on this podcast it doesn't exist so you know something goes on for 24 hours it's eight wheels on on the roller skate one ad Dave you've never really been the biggest fan of Le Mans but uh, are you going to miss it this year I do you know what Um, if um, I would actually really like to go to Le Mans when there are no fans there because to be perfectly honest it's the fans that ruin it Uh, it's perfectly fine during the day Um, I thought thought racing was nothing without the fans Dave well there there are exceptions Um, uh, during the day yeah, during the day, it's great. I mean, the atmosphere is fantastic during the day, but as soon as the sun goes down, uh, then basically, uh, you know, they are, it's, it all gets a bit Mad Max and, um, uh, people are, yeah, it gets very, very scary. I remember Dennis Noyce telling me about, um, Hockenheim because there's the forest in the middle of the Hockenheim uh, circuit. And he was saying when MotoGP or when, when 500s were there, then basically the, the police wouldn't go into the woods until the Monday after the race and they'd only go in to drag the dead bodies out. And it feels a bit like that at, uh, it feels a bit like that at Le Mans. I know there's people who like the, uh, the passion, but I think the passion of, you know, sort of staking someone out onto a crucifix and, uh, and skinning them alive is, is not the kind of fashion, the passion that I was looking for. Yeah, we actually had that in, I think, 2009, Div. Um, someone actually being carried away in a body bag uh, as we went into the track on Saturday. Um, yeah, there was someone, I, I think, yeah, died in the grandstand. Uh, and obviously, we don't know what the cause was of that. But um, yeah, it was all a bit, uh, I don't know, people have been partying really to the max for a couple of days and uh well that might have uh, taken its toll on this uh, on this poor person so uh yeah it does have that kind of um atmosphere that it's 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 quite electric and when you come in on a sunday it's packed and there's definitely uh there's definitely a feel in there but um you also have the suspicion that it could spill over into something quite uh well a bit unsightly yeah um, pre- when you're leaving I, I the presume- track in the evening yeah. I've seen the bloke in the body bag was taken away um, um, uh, because they'd tied four motorbikes to each of his limbs and pulled them apart just for entertainment on a Saturday night. Um, that's the uh, that's very much the vibe that I always get there. What um sorry now I've had quite a crossy. What do we kind of think of the place as a racetrack? I mean, obviously, Steve. I mean, you've seen enough races around there, and I re- highly recommend anybody to go on YouTube and and sort of search for a nineteen eighties sort of five hundred cc GP because. You know, turn one is pretty spectacular watching the, the the bikes flat out through there. But it's a bit of a, a bastardized version of the 24-hour circuit, isn't it? But, um, I mean, it's got a, a, quite a quite a mix of, you know, the elements you'd want in a, in a motorcycle racing track, isn't it? Yeah, well, at le- least you've taken us off that incredibly dark turn that Neil took us on. So, uh, for, for me, <laughs> like, started I, I, Le Mans always quite special for me because um, it was actually the first... European MotoGP race I went to. I went there in 2007, actually stayed in the campsites, Dave, and uh, I only did it for one night and then I said, fuck this. That and, explains uh, a lot. That we, we, we left lot. immediately, just found some farmer's field to camp in after half the tents around us were all set on fire. But uh, Le Mans is, like you said, I'd like you can't really do anything to compare it to the 24-hour track. I've gone there for the 24-hour car race and that's one of the best weekends of the year you can have. You go all the way through the middle of the the woods and the forest and as as the sun comes up and it's really special you go to Le Mans for the Bugatti track 
and it, it's you know as far as the track goes it's nothing special you know there's a few interesting parts on it and for a fan you can get really close to the action for me going to that race in 2007 it was a great experience you know the, uh, the fans at the track are, are great there's a fantastic atmosphere at it that was the really wet right that was the really wet race that uh, Christopher Mullen won and you had a French one two at one stage during the race so obviously all the French fans were going mad so you can expect something like that again this weekend potentially yeah, could Jack Miller actually be the uh, the third Aussie to win there? I mean, uh, Vermeulen, Stone has won there in the past as well. I mean, it's thrown up some pretty freaky results as well because of the weather. Even if it has traditionally been like a Yamaha and a Honda track. I mean, I was looking up some stats to do with the circuit and Jorge Lorenzo has the most wins there. Um, you know, and it's uh, Maverick Vinales has the lap record. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, a track that seems to suit a particular type of motorcycle, but... You know, um, Petrucci, of course, winning in the rain last year. Yeah, Paulo Spargaro got on the podium uh, with the KTM. So it'd be interesting, interesting to see if those guys have worked around, you know, being able to get the most out of the soft tyre. If there is, if the weather forecast sort of remains the same and it's going to be rainy and thundery and, you know, a bit stormy and hard to predict. The thing I like about the track, because you look at it on paper and it looks, you know, like nothing special, but the thing I like about it is it, it does have some really interesting sections. Um, I mean, apart from the chicane, you know, like uh, turn one, two, I think it is officially, uh, uh, and then the chicane three, four, and then up around uh, La Chapelle, the big sweeping um, uh, right-hander. The, what you don't realize until you actually get there is how much um, uh, how much elevation di uh, difference there is because it really is you do really do drop down the hill and it's a little bit off camber and it's a really really difficult corner if you get out wide you can forget it and then you've got to come back again for Musée which is again just a lovely sort of bit of an off camber strange corner uh, and there's a few of those which just make it that little bit more interesting um, Shimano Boeuf my favorite my favourite corner, Shimano Berth, or the uh, Cow Street, um, which is just a fantastic um, or uh, a fantastic name for a uh, uh, for for a corner. But yeah, there's there's all of these little bits and pieces which make it just that little bit more challenging, that little bit more interesting. Yeah, just to talk about the elevation changes as well, Dave. Like you can actually see it if you think back to Luca Marini's crash last year. You could see just how big that drop is from in underneath the Dunlop Bridge down towards the right-hander. So it is one of those tracks where there's that massive elevation change, but there's also where one corner leads into the other. Sometimes if you're you know, a couple of meters offline at any point during a corner, it can cost you so much on the eggs. I think that long right-hander is one of those examples. And that could potentially be, as well, lad, why someone like Lorenzo has always been so successful. There's someone that's always hitting all of his markers. Yeah, that's right, Steve. And also, you know, just in terms of the flow, I mean, I'm curious to see how the Suzuki's will get on this year. Um, like you say, the last win being 2007, the race that you were at. So, uh, you know, with Vermeulen and, it's, and, you know, it has just been a domain of, you know, Honda and Yamaha since with Mark Marquez um, and, you know, various, various Yamaha riders popping up. And, you know, let's not forget Johan Zarco's uh, fantastic first appearance in front of his fans. I mean, You'd have to be pretty hard-nosed not to, you know, get a bit of a, a ripple up the spine seeing the reaction and the expectation around the French fans for Zarco in that, that first uh, Grand Prix where he appeared on the Tech 3 Yamaha. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, what's, it's really interesting that it is a, a Honda and a Yamaha track because on paper they look they're, they're completely different sort of types of motorcycles, completely different styles of motorcycles. The, for the the Honda is all about you know making up ground on the braking, being able to turn very very tight, and then sort of trying to get out the corner. The uh, the Yamaha is much more about corner speed, but it's not just about corner speed. The strength of the Yamaha has always been drive in low gears out of corners. Um, it's really good at creating mechanical uh, mechanical grip, and I think this years both the 2021 uh, bike and the 2019 bike which Morbidelli is on they're both really good at that and you do need there's lots of sort of slow corners where you need to get on the gas early and, and pull away uh, and that's where I think the MR strength is so yeah it's going to be interesting to see um, how the how the Yamahas perform this year and especially because the Ducati seems to have fixed some of its uh, some of its weaknesses that uh, you know could also make it competitive so it looks like it could be a much closer race I've um because it's a historical track I've dug up a bit of history so I'm going to throw some questions at you guys and see uh you know how we can go on with trivia and of course our listeners can we just give Neil this win now (laughs) (laughs) well let's see Steve let's see yeah, uh, who was just, 17th you know, fastest in FP1 in 1973? <laughs> well, listen, the first, right, just applying the premier class, okay. So, like 500s and MotoGP. The first Grand Prix of Le Mans was in 1969. Any uh, guesses as to the winner? Giacomo Agassini. Yeah, I go Ago as well. But, but I think, did, uh, did they not race at Le Mans before that? Not according to the MotoGP.com uh, statistics archive. Okay, I, I thought they raced at Le Mans in the fifties. I thought I thought Jeff Duke won there. Could be wrong. Maybe the street circuit. Mm, no idea. But I just see, I seem to remember it. Maybe 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 I'm wrong. We'll go with what MotoGP says. Just don't question the quizmaster. I'm already just trying to get to my excuses in quick. To be honest, mate. Well, I would, Neil was so quick off the fire. I'm sure because you know he was rubbing shoulders with Vago in in the press room in Jerez. Uh, a week before last, so you know me, Ed. You know me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the most successful nation at Le Mans is Spain, of course. Little surprise, and six riders have won there. Can anybody name those six Spanish riders in the Premier Class? Uh, Lorenzo Crivier, Marquez, Marquez Vinales, Chibernoy. That's it. Wow, you boys are on fire. Okay, second successful nation is Italy with five riders. Uh, Ago, well, we've already established Ago once. Rossi, Rossi, um, Milan, no, no, no. Uh, Max, oh, Petrucci, and Petrucci, and Lucanelli. No, uh, you're missing one. Marco Lucanelli. Somebody already said him, but well, then we're not then missing dismissed one. Dismissed him. No, they, then you dismissed him. Marco Melandri. Oh, Melandri, winner. Yeah. And then lastly, there was uh, the next nation at third, you know, with a bronze medal of wins at Le Mans is the USA. Four different winners. Uh, the premier class. So can we have four Americans? Freddie. Lawson. Lawson. Rainey. Spencer. Schwanz. And one more. Uh, Randy Mamola. Oh, Steve, on fire. There you go. So he has a nice little spread of history there, you know, moving through the eras, the riders. Do you know what? I, I'm I'm gonna have to just go and just find out where the French Grand Prix was in nice and early in the time there in like the in the in the fifties or whatever because it's now just well, going to annoy me. Steve, you got about me. thirty minutes left on the podcast. So there you go. There, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, just, I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna just have to go and try and find that. So, uh, David, I'll tell you what. Just while I'm trying to find that out, what's the what's the big challenge for everyone this weekend at Le Mans? 
do you think? Well, the big challenge is going to be the weather because it's going to be mixed conditions. It's going to be tricky. Um, the uh, it's a very precise track. You need to be very precise. I, I, I think um, maybe Ad said, and uh, you said a little bit earlier, if you, the, the key to being fast is getting drive out. And if you run a little bit wide, you run offline, you lose both on entry and you lose, or you lose mid corner and then you really, really lose out, um, uh, on the exit of the corner and you, you can never really make that, um, that up again. So the trick is going to be is to try to be as precise as possible, uh, despite the mix conditions um it's looking like it's going to rain on and off it might be okay on friday and then sort of saturday and sunday it's going to be sort of all over the place so you really don't know what you're going to um what you're going to face and it makes actually setting up and testing tires and all the rest of it much more difficult when you don't have a set of uh you know a, a, a um a set of practices where the conditions are predictable and sort of roughly similar because the other thing we see a lot at Lamar is it gets quite cold in the morning uh, and then when the sun comes out later in the afternoon it's much better so the track really warms up um so you get very big uh, temperature difference morning and afternoon as well so it's the, really the uh, it comes down to being up to speed quickly having a really good base setup uh, and then just working on working on precision uh, it tends not to charge or, or load the tires too much unless you start making mistake and you're having to try to make up to uh, to, uh, to make up ground on acceleration and then you just chew through rear tires um lads I've, i have done my little bit of research to find out what the crack was with french grand prix and adam motogp.com was dead right in 1969 for the first uh first MotoGP race at Le Mans. There were races before that in the likes of Albi, which I have no idea where that is. But uh, I do always like any time Ruin is mentioned as a track because then it gives all of us the chance to do a headline of Road to Ruin. And uh, then there was plenty of other places as well for the French Grand Prix. No, Ruin, Dave, Ruin. We're we're still English speaking. We're not going full French on it. But uh, Adam, just whenever you look at the track, obviously Le Mans, you mentioned there earlier on just about the differences that we have around the track and it has tended then to play actually quite well between the different bikes. This year is a little bit different though because of the way that the, the tyres are working right now with the Michelin tyres. Do you think is that going to be a factor again this weekend for the teams? Or maybe with the weather conditions, obviously we could have you know a lot of rain this weekend. That could That's obviously going to negate it if we're all out in wet tyres. I think one of the fun things, Steve, is it's often hard to predict just because of that sort of kind of unstable weather, you know, outlook. Um, I haven't seen the Michelin sort of kind of press card they send out before the, the Grand Prix. Um, you wouldn't imagine there's much variation in, in the product they're kind of offering the teams this weekend. So, uh, you know, we had a one day test after Jerez. You, you would be thinking that the teams would be at the very least looking ahead to, um, a couple of Grand Prix that might test some of the uh, the s- most severe sort of spring, European spring conditions. Um, you know, Mugello, of course, we've seen wet weather there in the past, but typically that race uh, is, a, is a week before Catalonia, two very hot Grand Prix. But then, you know, we're heading into uh, venues, you know, like Assen eventually that could also be heavy rain. So cooler conditions, rainy conditions, um, you know, like I say, it's going to be high. It's going to be hard to, to really make any sort of solid predictions, I think. Yeah, difficult to predict, Adam, what's going to happen, but uh, we're obviously going to take a a stab at that whenever we come back after this ad break. Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 Glove. 
With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen-compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Fly Racing. And uh, David, I said that we were going to take a stab at predicting what's going to happen this weekend at Le Mans. Obviously, we've got a lot of French riders that uh, are going to have a lot of pressure on them this weekend. The likes of Fabio Quattararo, Johan Zarco, there is that expectation on them now. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with that. Yeah, exactly. Well, they they both have experience of it. You know, they've both uh, uh, started from pole. They've both had fastest laps. Uh, they've both had really strong uh, starts and results. There, they've been they're, they've both been really really quick. Even uh, Quattararo on his first appearance in two thousand and nineteen, um, uh, he got off to a fairly sort of shocking start, but actually ended up setting the fastest lap. So there are. Um, what tends to happen is they sort of they do rise to the occasion, but they are under a lot of pressure. We've seen riders crash out. We've seen riders really sort of uh, uh, really struggle. So I think. Um uh, in a way, not having fans at the racetrack might make things a little bit easier. And they both really have um, uh, a, a lot at stake. I mean, Joan Zarco, perhaps less than Fabio Quattararo. Quattararo needs a good result to um, consolidate his uh, his position in the championship. You know, if he wants to um, stay in the running for the for the, for the title, then he really has to uh, score a podium at least. But like we said, the Yamaha, it's the, the it really suits the the. the the Yamaha, the the track really suits the Yamaha, and Joan um, Zarco. I mean, Zarco had you know a, 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 a decent race in um, uh, in Jerez. Uh, he has done well at uh, Le Mans. The Ducati goes well at Le Mans, especially in the wet. Um, so yeah, the, the signs are looking good for Zarco, but the question is, you know, there is a lot of pressure. There is an enormous amount of media attention on the uh, uh, on the French riders beforehand. Um, they, especially as uh, the popularity of the sport, thanks to Quattararo and Zarco, is really growing in France as well, and that means more media media attention and more attention in the media in all of the big media, and uh, that really puts a lot of pressure on the riders Neil obviously for the likes of Quattro in particular you know he's come back from his arm pump surgery you know he's only two points behind Paco in the championship standing so being able to just score decent points on his return from from that injury from that surgery you know if he's able to like David said come away with a podium it's a good weekend for him yeah yeah for sure um, and just to um, just to add something to what Dave was saying, I remember Zarco put it on pole in 2018 at Le Mans, and uh, Hervé Poncheron said after the race the next day, which Zarco crashed out, that um, during the, the playing of the national anthem, you know, the whole stadium standing opposite the uh, you know on the pit straight was was kind of screaming out the national anthem, and Hervé said that he could see at that very moment. Zarco basically physically being kind of affected by the pressure, you know, and then he, he crashed out of the race. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see, um, you know, just how those guys uh, deal with the pressure. But I think, you know, what I'm quite looking forward to seeing this weekend is, um, I mean, I'm looking at the uh, the weather forecast at the moment and it's saying 80% chance of rain on Sunday um, between 7 and well, 7am and 7pm. So it does look like we could have a, a wet MotoGP race. And 
like we did last year. And, you know, last year, the kind of the new riders, the, the sort of new generation that we're, we're seeing at the front of MotoGP did quite uh, struggle to, to get up to speed. Um, Alex Marquez was, was obviously an exception to that. But if you think of guys like Joan Mir, Quadraro, Bagnaia, uh, Franco Morbidelli, they all had pretty poor races in the French Grand Prix last year. Um, and I think, you know, one of the reasons for that is just because we've had such limited wet weather action um, in MotoGP across the last year and a half. I mean, we I think France was more or less the only wet. Um, maybe there was a, a time in Valencia as well last year, but, you know, very limited amount of wet weather experience um, for the guys I don't think they've had one day of wet running on, on this year's package. Um, so this will be a first for them to, to kind of understand, you know, the strengths and weaknesses of where they are in the wet. Uh, yeah, I don't think we've had and it sort of uh, in the past three or four, four or five years, maybe we've only had maybe a couple of really wet races. I mean, I remember um, Sepang one year um, at Japan and, you know, for the most part, it's been... Uh, either dry and occasionally sort of one of these you know mixed half and half ones so yeah it's and it really is it really is difficult it's a completely different um it's completely different discipline actually riding in the rain and um uh yeah it's also going to be interesting to see how uh how uh, bastianini and uh luca marini and um i think uh, not sure whether Savadori rode at uh, lamar last year or not but certainly how bastianini and marini uh, get on 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 wet yeah, and just to, um, I mean, looking at last year's results, I mean, Quadraro struggled to ninth after, you know, being the fastest, clearly the fastest guy in the dry. Uh, Mir was 11th, um, Bagnaia was 13th on a Ducati whenever Petrucci won the race and Davizioso uh, was up there challenging, Miller was challenging as well, so that was a pretty poor result from Bagnaia. And uh, Franco Morbidelli crashed out, I think, when he was outside the top 10. So, you know, I think um, those guys those four in particular have been among the most impressive riders this year so far they'll they'll be looking at this weekend with a bit of trepidation i think it's interesting with banyai because this could be a real test of banyai uh, as he was saying like over the winter he's working on uh cold uh, you know cold tires so uh, getting up to speed quickly and getting some heat into his tires early on and that's always a uh, that's always a challenge in mixed conditions um we've seen him go well sort of all year really even in even in uh, in some of the cooler sessions uh, so this could be the real the first real challenge of how he manages i think what's also interesting as well is that uh, you know if we go back to last year at le mans neil you were mentioning there about how little experience some of these guys have in the wet i think you, what we could actually look at as well is someone like what happened with jake dixon because that's actually quite illustrative of what can happen to riders in these kind of conditions you just keep pushing that little bit faster that little bit harder that little bit more when you don't actually have the experience of knowing what to expect and jake's out in front you know he's doing a great job but he started to push harder in sectors he was already pushing quite hard and then he has his crash and that's when it's very easy for any of these younger riders with their little bit less experience of what to what to know is going to happen in these conditions and that can be what happens i think another thing that is uh, going to be interesting is just to see um the strength of if it is wet the strength of honda i mean alex marquez was obviously sensational at the moment last year um finished just 1.2 seconds off the win um we were generally off the impression at the time that um had the race been one or two laps longer he could have maybe even won the race um but you know alex uh, was sensational there has always been good at le mans paul was on the podium in the wet on the ktm last year and obviously we know mark i mean his first wet weather race in MotoGP gp came at le mans in 2013 and was legendary i think 
by the eighth lap. He was setting the fastest lap of the race. That was his eighth lap in the rain on a MotoGP bike. Um, and maybe those conditions will just be a little easier for him as he you know as he still comes up to, to full fitness again so um i think you look at if it is you know underwater conditions on sunday obviously miller has to start as, as one of the favorites because of his strength at the track and ducati strength there and ducati strength in the rain but i think you know marquez paul uh, both marquez's i should say um i mean those are guys that we'll have to keep our eyes on for me, Miller's the, the big talking point coming into the weekend. I mean, he's now put himself back into that position of like pressure like he had pre-season, uh, you know, after the fine win in Jerez. Um, his record at Le Mans is actually pretty good. I think he's got two fourth positions, um, as well as that extremely scary crash in 2016, I think it was. Uh, so, you know, there's a mixture of fortunes for him at the venue, but, you know, it seems to be a place that he favours. Um, of course, he's shown that he can win a MotoGP race in the in the wet, and it's another question mark over the Ducati because at the moment it's it seemed to be the uh, you know a much improved motorcycle over what we've seen in 2020. So if Magnaia and Miller again are setting the the lap times at the sharper end of the classification, um, you know it's it bodes well for for the Reds. Yeah, I mean, for me, Miller is the is the favourite. Uh, I on the Dutch Eurosport podcast I do, I predicted that he's going to win. So obviously, I apologise for jinxing him. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, he's coming off a win. Uh, he's finally got that one under his belt, and he's that's given him the the the, the, the confidence boost he needed. The Ducati's strong in the wet. Uh, the Ducati should be strong at um, at the Mars as well because it has been strong over the past sort of two or three seasons. Um, so yeah. It, I think it's hard to look past Miller. I think Miller is going to be sort of the rider to beat, but I do think there are a few riders who can beat him. Yeah, and I think um, you think back to 2019 when Mark uh, came home ahead of the three Ducatis after the race, Gigi Lalina said uh, in rather pointed comments to Sky Italia, uh, you know, today we had the bike to win. Um, so it's clear that he feels that, you know, the Ducati is kind of best suited to uh, the, the Le Mans layout. Um, and... Um, yeah, with with Mark was the only guy that was able to kind of halt Ducati uh, back in 2019, um, and you know he's still not quite at the level he was then. Um, so yeah, you have to think that the the red bikes have a really good um, a really good chance. How do we think Mark will do this weekend? Because you know he's had another he's had another week to recover some of the strength in his arm. Um, he's had a, he's got a couple of races under his belt, so he's got you know his body is used to the uh, physical strain. So how do what do we think? I'm going to put my money on the line just for a change, lads, and I'm going to say Mark's going to be on the podium this weekend. Well, I'll tell you what, Neil, that <sighs> would count for something if you ever actually invoiced anyone to get your money. So, <laughs> Yeah, we're talking, yeah. we're talking Monopoly, Neil. I mean, uh, you still owe me like a couple of houses uh, and, you know, hotels from the last time excuse we played. So uh, excuse me? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, obviously, the, 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 there's also a question mark over the lingering after effects of the crash that he had on, what was it, Saturday at, uh, at Jerez to see you know, how he does that. Obviously, he didn't test on the Monday, um, but we know that he goes well at Le Mans. We know that he's an absolute king in mixed conditions, especially if the grip is unpredictable. That's when he really comes into his own. And we could also perhaps see if we do get those conditions, just how good he is and how much of the old mark is, uh, is, is, is still there. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be, I'm, I'm fascinated. I, I mean, 
I would, if I had to guess, I'd say top five. But then I said that the first race back as well. So who knows? I think we need Adam to decide this one because you know Ad's been right on Mark all along. No, I've laid it out from the um, from the beginning. I said I've got no idea who's going to thrive this weekend. I mean, I would say you know I would not put. I would place some coinage, uh, you know, on Juan Mir being in the mix. I just think you know he's. Uh, got more confidence more competitiveness um you know there's there's something about you know the way that he's been bubbling in and around the podium i, I just think it's you know they're gonna make it work this weekend but well, i, I what, also what I... say steve steve just before i'm sorry to cut across you but you know i think um the plight of danilo petrucci will be interesting to watch as well this weekend don't forget this is a rider you know at the peak of his confidence 12 months more than 12 months ago of course because lamont was run later um took a victory have ktm found out enough done enough to help him get confident you know on the rc16 um it'll be an interesting barometer not only for a rider's confidence returning to a venue where he won you know the previous year i mean if he's still languishing or or, or wallowing back in 15th 16th place even if we are talking maybe seven eight tenths of a second off off provisional pole for example then it's um you know, it's not looking too shiny. And you'd say that one of the Tech 3 KTM spots are, are bound to be vacated by another rider for, for 2022, maybe coming in from Moto2 or shuffling around the grid. Um, you know, maybe that'll be some of the talk for the, uh, the Paddock Pass podcast extra show this week. Um, it's, uh, you know, I want to see what happens. I think for me, I'd like it's quite interesting. Obviously, you mentioned their Petrucci and you mentioned their Mir because... I'm really interested to know who you guys think needs to win this weekend the most because someone like Mir, you know, he finds himself, he's, he's only 17 points down, 18 points down in the championship standing. So it's, it's by no means been a, a dreadful start to the year for him. But the pressure does start to build that the world champion hasn't really shown that kind of signs of what we would have expected from, you know, he needs to win again soon and i think it's going to be important to see how he reacts this weekend obviously you mentioned there petrucci as well i don't think anyone expects petrucci to to back up last year's result with another win but if he's able to come away with something that gives him encouragement and for petrucci this weekend that could be you know top six top seven that's a massive step forward where he's up there then battling with where we've seen like the leading ktms over the course of times this season and i think that's kind of where like if dan was able to make that step it's been a really good weekend for him but I think someone like me or this is a really important weekend for him just from just from the standpoint of just getting that monkey off his back. I mean, there's stronger tracks for Suzuki coming up. Uh, I don't think Mir's in, in a particular rush. But whereas Dave said earlier, I think Quattararo has to get back in the game, at least just in terms of you'd say his confidence after what was a train wreck in, in Jerez. But for me, it's also Maverick Vinales. I mean, you know, the guy, like we said, holds the lap record at the track, previous winner there. Um, you know, I think apart from Petrucci, only him and Mark are the only current riders on the grid and Rossi, of course. Uh, but Rossi's last win was, I think, uh, 12 years ago. Um, you know, the only other rider on the grid really to, to have succeeded at Le Mans. And I think he also did it maybe 2018. Um, it might have been a time when he was also under pressure to you know, get some results. It might have even been his first victory for Yamaha, if I remember, uh, probably incorrectly. I've already been questioned on the history of Le Mans and this podcast. I'm not going to make any more bold claims on statistics. But uh, but for me, uh, Vinales needs to, no, Neil, I don't want to hear it. Um, <laughs> um, Vinales, you know, really could do with uh, some, some more silverware. Neil, does Vinales just need his teammates to crash out in front of him again this weekend to win the race? Uh, it was 17 and it was his third uh, Yamaha win, I think I had just going off his uh, Wikipedia page, which I've opened up. Uh, yes. Yeah. You yeah, know, it's interesting because um, 
yeah, Vinales has just been a bit of a mystery really since uh, since we left Qatar. Um, that uh, that kind of yeah, slightly Mardi um, moody character has, uh, has has certainly returned, and um, you know he didn't really ever appear in the running um, at uh, at Hareth. Um and you know it, he's never really been one for the wet conditions either. I don't think. I think we could maybe list on one hand the amount of times that Mavericks really looked um, like uh, quite a threat in the rain. So, yeah, it's one of those uh, one of those weekends which, um, if it does start to rain, you, you certainly wouldn't be looking at him as as one of the the main protagonists. Um, well, I mean, I I would have to um, I think I'd, I'd have to agree with a lot of that, and certainly with um, uh, both Juan Mir and Maverick Vinales. I think there is a little bit less pressure on Mir because he's on an upward trajectory whereas you know Vinales sort of won the first race and then has been all over the place uh, so I think uh, you know Vinales really really needs to win this to get uh, everything back on track uh, Juan Mir needs uh, Juan Mir really needs to be on the podium this week I think they're definitely under pressure um, and just thinking about who could be on the uh, on the podium it looks really, really tight. It is really difficult to to predict. You know, maybe Mark Marquez does make it onto the podium, but you've still got, you know, Pekka Vanier, you've got Jack Miller, um, you've got Fabio Quattraro, you've got Jean Zarco. These are all guys who are extremely motivated and perfectly capable of actually getting uh, getting on there uh, uh, onto the onto the podium. Yeah, and I think, Dave, that kind of sums up exactly where we are with MotoGP as we head to the fifth round of the season. There's tons of riders that have the chance. There's tons of riders that have given themselves the right to be looked upon as being a podium contender this weekend. And I think that's why it's going to be a really exciting weekend again in Le Mans. Whether it's wet, whether it's dry, I think we could have a really great weekend of racing. So I'm really looking forward to this weekend. And Adam, I'm sure you are as well. Absolutely, Steve. Uh, like I say, uh, the unpredictability that's, uh, that's just, just hovering around the Grand Prix makes it, um, you know, eminently watchable. I'm actually just trying to, because we're talking on a Zoom call, I'm flicking through my laptop to see um, what happened if if the Red Bull rookies were racing last year uh, at Le Mans, because, you know, it'd be curious to see if Pedro Acosta actually knows no, this they, circuit much at all. They weren't. Uh, I think this is uh, Acosta's, the first circuit that Acosta will go to this year, uh, which he has no experience at uh, prior to the weekend. So uh, that'll be a new test, I think, for for Pedro. I think that that's really that's really good, Neil, because it is going to be interesting to see how Acosta reacts this weekend. It's going to be interesting to see how he does if it's wet as well. Because if you think back to last year, didn't really have an awful lot of wet weather running. There wasn't any CEV races in the West. I don't think there was any Red Bull Rookies Cup races in the in the West. Maybe at, at Valencia there might have been one. But I think for him, it's going to be interesting to see how he deals with it. And it's just another curveball that's been thrown at him. But he's hit everything that's come at him all the way through this year. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens in, in that class as well. And uh, obviously for you, Neil, you're excited now just to be getting ready to, to pack your small bag your carry-on bag, get yourself on a plane and get yourself to Le Mans. Well, via about exactly. 16 different countries to get there, though. Exactly, yeah. Is there something strange about packing a, a carry-on bag for going away for four days? Well, it is when you're seven foot three. <laughs> In fairness, though, to Neil, he's that much of a hipster. His trousers are very short, so they probably don't take up an awful lot of space in his bag. Dave, obviously, you're also a, a big hipster. You're packing your bag to go back to, to Holland soon enough as well, hopefully. 
yeah, yeah, I should be on the boat tomorrow night uh, and um, straight into straight off the boat and into Zoom calls for um, uh, for the French Grand Prix. So I'm not sure I will uh, be able to give it my complete 100 percent attention, but um, uh, should be good for the for the weekend. And certainly by by the time Sunday comes around, it should be great. Well, interestingly, Dave, obviously you have to give it 110%, but whenever I was watching The Hunt for Red October, I saw that Sean Connery demanded 115% from the submarine engine. So clearly there is extra that Moto3 riders can push in. So it'll be interesting if they're able to do that this weekend. Obviously for us on the Paddock Pass podcast, we've also got the Paddock Pass podcast extra that will be out later on this week, and that'll be just for our Patreon supporters. So for $3 a month, you can support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass podcast, and we'll also have our Paddock Notes shows all the way through this weekend again, so that's for our Paddock Insiders on Patreon as well. You can support the podcast, get kept up to date all the way through a Grand Prix weekend. So for myself, Steve English, from Adam, from Neil, from David, a big thank you to everyone for supporting the podcast, and a big thank you to everyone for listening to today's show this episode of the paddock pass podcast was produced by jensen beeler david emmett steve english neil morrison and adam wheeler it was edited by brian burnett music is provided by the libertines all inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com <laughs>